0: Welcome to the Love First Podcast, where we love first because Jesus first loved us. Here on the Love First Podcast, we exist to empower and equip pastors and leaders to every day look a little bit more like Jesus. Thank you for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Love First Podcast, season one, episode five. Uh, We are back with another guest. Pastor Mike Rima from Lake City Church in Coeur Idaho. I almost said Iowa. How are you doing, Pastor Mike?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we wanted you to tell us a little bit about, because uh, you were the founding pastor of Lake City Church, um, and it's been around for how long?
1: Well, we just celebrated 20 years. Wow. Um, wow. But we actually opened the doors of the first building, in, um, 2000, so February of
0: 2000. Wow. Yeah. We started off
1: as kind of a satellite site, um, with the idea that we would go sovereign, Mm -hmm. but, uh, there's a backstory to that. And, um, so anyways, we wound up, uh, officially becoming Lake City Church in, uh, June of
0: 2002. That's great. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry history before and, uh, and and present to Lake City.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, for me, everything started as a youth pastor. You know, I was uh, privileged to uh, serve on staff with Les Welk over in Seattle at Shoreline Community what, Church. What
2: years were those, Mike? Oh, gosh, that
1: was 1983 to 1990. Yeah. So seven years on staff. And then I continued there um, as I as I stepped out into motivational speaking and speaking in a lot of public schools around the country, they asked if I would be interested in officing there. So I continued to office there. So we, we wound up being at Shoreline for about 13 years. Yeah,
2: I remember moving to the Northwest. I think I moved here in about 90, 89, 90. And, uh, I don't know that I've ever told you this, uh, but I remember hearing the name Mike Ryma all the time. I mean, you have been a hero in this region for many years, Mike. Oh, well, I, hero, that's... Uh, no, I I'm not mean sure. It. A yeah. lot of people
1: look up to you, respect you highly, and I do as well. Oh, well, thank you, Kent. That means a lot to me. Um, we, we went on the road for six years and then wound up in Spokane, uh, invited to be a part of a ministry there up on the South Hill. And in fact, Kent, you and I yeah. share something in common. We both pastored that church exactly. at, uh, at one time. You you actually followed I me. I followed there. you. Yes. Yeah, I remember a time, Kent, it was after um, we had left there and you had been elected and you said, I'd like to go to lunch with you. And I said, okay. Yeah. And uh, you said, uh, Mike, uh, at lunch, you said, Mike, you did such a great job at the church. And I just wanted to say thank you for leading well. And I said, well, Honestly, I didn't lead that well. And um I know that there were a lot of things I did wrong, hmm. and that um, if you ever thought it would be appropriate, I'd be more than happy to come back and let the people know that I know that I did some things wrong and just ask for their forgiveness. And you said, really? How about Wednesday? (laughs) I said, you're kidding. And he said, no, it's our first business meeting. And I think that would be a great way to kick it off. And I said, okay, I'm in. And I'll I'll never forget stepping back into that building and um, people looking around and seeing me there wondering what in the world is he doing Mm -hmm. here? And you said, uh, Mike has joined us for the first part of our meeting tonight and would just like to come up and say a few words. And I, I remember going up and saying to the people, hey, listen, I, I know that I didn't do everything right. And um, I, I would just ask for your forgiveness. Hmm. And um, for me, that really was the culmination that kind of closed a chapter for yeah. me. Cause it because it was painful for you. It was painful. But I, I think, see, I, I went there thinking that this was just going to go up and to the right, sure. right? So I went there thinking, I'm gonna, you know, Jesus said he's gonna build a church and the gates mm-hmm. of hell won't prevail against it, right? So I went there thinking, we're gonna build this church. And I Wh- followed you thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and here's, here's what I didn't really understand at the time. I didn't understand that, you know, like the church, right? That's you, that's me. That's us. Mm -hmm. And so his when Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church, that was really a commitment to building us. Yeah. That's good. Building you, building me. And what I didn't realize that that he had invited me to this church to build me. Hmm. And that there were some things that really needed to be hammered out of me. And so it was an opportunity, an invitation to climb up on God's anvil. And allow him to just begin to hammer some crud out of me. And in um, looking back now, in retrospect, I can see that he was really preparing me for Lake City. Mm -hmm. He was preparing me. I, I, I led very differently at Lake City than I did coming into Spokane. Same here. Yeah.
2: Same here. It's, it was very, um, it, for me, it was an anvil as well. And I think for both of us, we, it was my first time as a senior pastor. I think it was, oh oh yeah, it's my first as well. So both of us brand new. And, um, I remember that night very vividly and I believe it was a turning point for that church. Uh, Unfortunately, the church no longer exists. That building is now sold to another church family. I guess you'd put it that way because the church does exist, but, um, the church as we knew it does not exist any longer. Um, For me, that night was a closing to a chapter where, you know, Mike, just as well as I do, when a pastor leaves, there are those who loved that pastor and there were those who loved you and then those who grumbled. and, And I would hear... Oh, Mike was wonderful, and people. Some of these people would go visit you at at the other church that you'd gone to, and and talk so highly of you. And then there were some grumblers. And uh, that night, uh, for me, publicly wanting to say, Mike and I are brothers. We are officially closing this chapter. It is forgiven. We are. Uh, everything's washed clean. Yeah. I think that was a very important time for the church as, as, as it it sounds like it was for you as well.
1: Yeah. It was, it was really an important, you know, uh, step on my journey, you know, to own, to own that. You know, one of the things I've learned is that you can't own anybody else's stuff, Mm. but you have to own your own. That's good. And so, so you have to do what you what you need to do to be able to say, you know, it wasn't until I asked this question, um, when I when I left when I left uh, Southridge, when I left that church, um, I really left with with this sense that well these people didn't really even like want to reach their community, they didn't yeah. want to, you know, so it was all their problem, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't until God brought me to the place where I said what was it about me that made that not work sure that was a really important question for me what was it about me that made that not work because then the lord was able to point out to me some of the pride some of the arrogance some of the some some, some of the disposition of my heart that really made it difficult right. for god to um really bless you know what it was that i was wanting to see happen there so God just used that uh, experience to be able to hammer some of that stuff mm-hmm. out of me, and and say, okay, if you're going to become all that I have created you to be, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to approach this differently, right? You know. And so it gave me the opportunity to address some of that stuff.
2: And some of that stuff, <laughs> we're spending a lot of time talking about the past when you're wanting to talk, Zach, about longevity in one place. But I, I really believe it's those formative years in our ministry that that inform the future and and where you're at now. Uh, Obviously, you've learned so much over those years uh, while you were at that church, and now uh, you've grown, and you're continuing to grow. But you went from Mm Southridge to...
1: um, Yeah, to New Life. I was invited... New Life was the mother church, and so I was invited to go to New Life to join their teaching team with the idea that uh, they were already in process to plant this new church. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to do it differently. And so I think God knew exactly what I would need in order to be considered, like, air quote, church planter. Yeah. Right? I think that— um, And this
2: was this was before church planting was a huge emphasis mm-hmm. within our movement.
1: Yeah. And, and the pastor at New Life, Bruce Miles, uh, he was a church planter at heart, and he just really wanted to set somebody up for a win. Yeah. And so they went out, they purchased property, they started, they'd already broke ground on a building. So they're building a brand new building and they were committing like 350 people to get started. Wow. And so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's quite an investment. Yeah. And, and that's quite an opportunity. I mean, who gets that kind of opportunity, right? right? Right. So, so when we really considered whether or not, you know, we should do this or not, um, we just really felt like we'd be disobedient, not, not to Mm -hmm. step into that opportunity. So, so we joined the teaching team. Um, unfortunately, uh, during the um, that first part of our journey, um, Pastor Bruce had been diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and he wound up struggling. Um, we joined the team in July of 99, and he wound up passing away in November of 99. And so... Here is some of the context, you know, for why we decided that we would do the soft launch as opposed to just launching it right away. The building actually was done in February of 2000, but he had just passed away like, you know, a couple of months before. Mm-hmm. We really didn't feel like our congregation at that time at New Life was ready for us to just, you know, full on right. launch that church. Uh, we felt like um, it would still, they were still grieving the loss of their founding pastor. Mm-hmm. So we decided let's wait and uh, we'll roll into this new building. We'll call it New Life, the Lake City site with the idea that we'll just kind of postpone the the church plant until we kind of acclimate to this um, new new environment. Yeah. And, and so then it was a year later that we said, okay, it's time. Wow. Yeah.
2: I remember those days. Bruce was yeah. a great man.
1: Yeah, Bruce really was. He was a phenomenal guy. I only wish they would have had more opportunity to spend with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, he was yeah. a great guy. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: today we want to talk about. You kind of mentioned it, Pastor Kent, but longevity in ministry. Um, when I think about longevity in ministry, I think about a story. It's a very quick verse in Second Chronicles chapter eight, where it says it took Solomon twenty years. To build the temple and his own palace and you look at solomon you go this guy had all the resources he had everything set up for him god had called him to do it his father david really wanted to do it but he you know it was left for solomon to do and it still took him 20 years yeah. and so it's just a good reminder that the things that god is wanting to build in us and through us for his glory a lot of the time it takes a while and so um I want us to also remember that longevity in ministry doesn't necessarily mean you just stick around at the same place for whatever reason for 20 years, just to say that you did like, I mean, Jesus, ministry was only three years and, you know, sometimes God calls you to go do different things and things like that. And so, uh, I guess the first question I want to ask you, Mike, um, is, uh, I guess have you ever wanted to quit <laughs> to start that off um like
1: every monday no i'm kidding uh
0: have you ever wanted to quit and what'd you do to overcome it because i think longevity is it's it's rare honestly in in the western church right now and yeah. a lot of people hop around to different things and some people think that you know certain things in ministry or like is just a stepping stone to the next great thing which i I just think is not a great mindset to have and so uh but a lot of the time that people in ministry want to quit, um, for whatever reason. And so I want to ask you that, have you ever wanted to quit and what did you do to overcome it?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. I can honestly say that, um, that's not been something I've really wrestled with a lot in terms of wanting to quit. I will say that, um, I did navigate a season that I was, um, I think overwhelmed, you know, with a a lot of things that were going on and it wasn't, and it wasn't just ministry related. It was a lot of different things. Um, some of them personal and some of them, um, ministry. Uh, and, and I know that I got close to wanting to throw in the towel Mm. and I was, and I was just tired. Fortunately, um, I was surrounded by really good people, you know, I was surrounded by really godly advisors that were able to uh, help me identify the fact that some of the feelings I was having right then, number one, were valid, mm-hmm. you know, so they validated me. And then number two, that, that, that I was leaning towards reaction. Okay. So I, re, reacting very rarely um, results in your desired outcome. Like when you, right. when you react to something, it's normally, um, born out of hurt. It's born out of, um, you know, anger it's born out of, you know, it can be born out of a lot of things that, that if you, if you take the bait on that and if you react to it, you wind up making a decision that quite honestly, um, you're going to regret, yeah. you know, you're going to get on the other side of it. Things are going to subside. Things are going to die down and you're going to realize that you overreacted. And so fortunately, like when I got right up to a window, you know, I had somebody there talking me off the ledge, you know, and, and so I think it's really, really important that you have those people in your life that know you really, really well. You know that they have nothing, no ulterior motive Mm -hmm. at all. They really have your back. They have your best interest in mind and that you give them permission to speak candidly into your life and help you evaluate what it is you're really processing. Right. So, so they, they'll ask you good questions. They won't tell you what to do, but they'll just ask you good questions to where you really have to process, Mm -hmm. you know, what am I really feeling? Where's this reaction coming from? You know, and, um, and, and then it gives you time to be able to process all of that and realize, yeah, that would have been an overreaction. Right, That's good.
2: Good. You know, I was, I've been here for uh, 15 years now at Valley as lead pastor. Uh, started in 93 as associate pastor, was here for seven years, went to Southridge for seven years, and came back in 2007. And so, in a sense, I've been here for a long time as well. And I've gone through seasons where I've you know, felt like I hit a wall and man, maybe God is saying it's time to move on and and give up. And uh, what I recognized was uh, it's kind of like my biological clock (laughs) in a sense. Uh, Every, in fact, I was told about a book um, where the author says in essence every 10 years, give or take a couple of years, because we're all a little bit different. uh, We either have to reinvent ourselves or start over somewhere else. And uh, I look back over you know the last fifteen years, I'm like, right around that ten year mark was where I started kind of feeling, man, I don't know if I'm in the right place, if mm. I'm doing the right thing. um has that have you found that to be true with in reflecting?
1: yeah, you know, I think I think there are times when you begin to feel that tension that something needs to change. And I think all too often we jump to the conclusion that that's a geographical change,, yeah. and that's not necessarily what the spirit is. Is prompting that, that we have to take a moment to look inward and say, is there a change in me that you're, that you're wanting to see happen? Right. You know, is there a change in perspective? Is there a change in priority? Is there a change in, um, ministry direction or, you know, um, do I, do I need to change the target on the wall? Is there something about what I'm doing right now that has just run its course right. And, uh, I, you know, if the horse is dead, dismount, yeah. right? So I think that a lot of times the change that God is wanting to bring about is a change in us, not right. necessarily a change geographically.
2: That's that's a really good point. Um, in fact, yesterday in a meeting I was in, uh, the guy who was leading the me- meeting happened to be Don Ross, our superintendent for the mm-hmm. Northwest Ministry Network, and he was talking about in the last five minutes of the meeting, he just shared a quick devotion that God had been stirring on his heart. And he said, "You know, we're called to be. I'm going to sum it up real quickly. We're called to be change agents, and as change agents, that change has got to start within us." Hmm. And, uh, when Jesus wants to change direction of a church, for example, he'll start with the ch- the pastor of that church and start in his heart or her heart.
1: That's mm. you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: I had a, I had a brain moment. Um, we being in ministry, there's a lot of people that, that come and go and, Uh, you know, sometimes we can take that personally as leaders, uh, whether that's, you know, a person that leaves the church or our team, uh, because they can't stand us, uh, maybe they're moving away. Maybe we are commissioning them to go plant a church or go be, you know, whatever position at whatever other place. Um, but I think anytime somebody leaves, uh, it leaves a little bit of a hole because we've, you know, we, we, we've valued that person. I don't think I don't think there's a lot of times where we're like, oh, I'm so glad that person left my organization. Uh, hopefully. But uh, how do you as a lead pastor, Mike, uh deal with that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question because that's that's going to happen. In fact, it's happened for all of us, right? I mean, yeah. m- we're not doing the same thing in the same place that we started out at, right? right. So there's been migration. Mm-hmm. And I think migration is a natural part of our spiritual journey. If that's been true for us, I'm not a youth pastor anymore in Seattle. Right. right? Yeah. And then I, then I was a motivational speaker for a while. And then, and then, I, I you know, I was a pastor in Spokane and now in Coeur d'Alene. Mm-hmm. So migration has been a natural part of my spiritual journey. Now, if that's true for me, why wouldn't it be true for someone else? Yeah. Right. So I think that, I think it was Rick Warren uh, years ago. I heard him say, church is a parade, bigger the church, bigger the parade. Yeah, You know, make sure that as you walk with people down the road, that you take full advantage of the opportunity you have to influence them for Jesus, but then how you navigate transition will have everything to do with whether or not they feel welcome to come back. So, so in other words, as far as it depends on you, Keep the bridge open. I've I've had um, many conversations. You know, when when you're in one place for a long time, um, you're just going to see people come. You're going to see people go. You're going to see people come back. Right. Um, I have said to people, listen, you need to know that I'm for you. And if you're taking a step out of obedience, so so you're following the leadership and the prompting of the Lord and and this is a step that represents obedience and you'd be disobedient to stay. You just need to know there's no one cheering louder for you mm. than me. That's good. I'm cheering for you. I am for you. I'm for your family. I want you to be right where you're supposed to be. But, but here's the other thing I will say. I want to make sure that you're taking a step towards something and not from something. Mm. That's good. Mm. Okay. So, You never want to run from something because here's the thing, (laughs) you're going to go with you wherever you go. That's exactly true. Right? So whatever unresolved issue, like a lot of people, they'll come to a fellowship and they'll be there long long enough until their issues start to emerge, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then when their issues emerge and they're called on that... Well, then they run to some other fellowship right. where they can be incognito and fly under the radar exactly. a- until their issues arise, right? So um, my encouragement has always been, listen, if this is a step of obedience and you'd be disobedient to stay, no one's cheering louder for you than me, mm-hmm. but make sure you're taking a step towards something and that you're not running away yeah. from something. Yeah. And the other thing that I think that has really helped me is... I have this open hand policy. I, I I learned a long time ago that you should never let your fingers close in around something that God never intended for you to hang on to. Hmm. It can be painful for God to pry your fingers off of that which he never intended for you wow. to hang on to. And so I hold people with an open hand. These are not my people. Yeah. You know, these are um, the people of God. Yeah. And God has given me the um, honor and the opportunity, the uh, responsibility to walk with these people and to be a spiritual leader Mm -hmm. and try to help them engage on a life-transforming journey. And for as long as I have the opportunity to do that, then I just thank God for the privilege. But I'm not going to, um, you know, try to hold on and hang on. If God's calling them to take a step that represents obedience, I'm going to hold them with an open hand.
2: Yeah, that, that's a very healthy outlook. Yeah. So. That's
0: good. Um, ministry takes a toll on a lot of us. Uh, there's a lot of work that we put into it, and uh, I can only imagine uh, what it you know what it takes on volunteers as well. But um, when it comes to ministry. Uh, how do you avoid burnout? Uh, because I think you can take the spiritual principle from John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Um, and if you're to me, you abide in me, then you're going to bear fruit. Uh, but also there's a lot of practical steps you can take to avoid burnout as well. So uh, what have you done, Mike, to avoid burnout in ministry?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I would say, first of all, I would say uh yeah it's it's really good to have this sense of confidence in your calling that this was God's idea not yours mm. um when i say that i i think back to a friend of mine who got in ministry um more because it was an expectation placed on him sure and he felt like he would have disappointed people had he not taken that path mm-hmm. because you know his You know, his dad had taken that path and he'd had other relatives take that path. And so he really was trying to live up to some expectations that others had of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a recipe for burnout. You know, when you're you're not really leaning into the calling that God has placed on your life and you're trying to do it to appease or to gain the approval of people that, that, you know, you love. Uh, that's not healthy. So really coming to a place where you say, okay, God, this is what you've called me into and you're not going to call me to something that you won't also equip me to do. And so I'm going to have confidence in this calling that you've placed on my life. And sometimes it's, it's really only the confidence of your calling that keeps you during hard times because you know that it's, it's not just purely yours to throw in the towel on. I mean, um, and and can't you know this to be true. Some some of the greatest seasons of growth have been, you know, following a season of difficulty. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And so if, in fact, I, I believe that so much now that I refuse to try to save people from seasons of difficulty. Mm-hmm. I, I used to try to swoop in and try to, you know, save them from the pain of having to navigate, you know, whatever it is they're navigating. I don't do that anymore because... I just know that some of the greatest growth in my life has come after a season of real tough time, yeah. you know, and difficulty. And so, but it's the confidence of your calling that really mm-hmm. keeps you, you know, during yeah. that.
2: That, that. That's a very powerful statement. In fact, I was at lunch a little bit ago with the pastor who's going through a really difficult time. And uh, one of the things I said was, you know, during this season while you're wondering what god's doing in your life if you're supposed to stay where you're at and all of this uh get alone with him and and i didn't use the word confidence but hear from him this is where i've called you this is what i've called you to do and who i've called you to be and it reminded me of a quote that i read one time never doubt in the darkness what god has revealed to you in the light Mm. and in those you know good seasons of, I know God's called me to the ministry. Here's proof because they're great victories. Um, it's important to remember that confidence of your calling when you're in that dark pit.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that has probably saved me a number of times, just reflecting back on those early days and knowing that this was not my idea, that this really was God's idea, and I want to be obedient and, and follow Him and even even when it gets tough. Um, I would say the next thing for me is, is recognize that you cannot give away what you don't have. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So, um, I love that. I love that, uh, that story, you know, um, that the guy who was the lame beggar, right by the gate, beautiful. And, uh, who was it? Peter and John came by and he says, uh, you know, he's begging for alms and they say silver and gold. We don't have. Right, but such as we have, we give to you, mm-hmm. right? And so we know how that story goes. Right. Well, that's that's a perfect, I think, um, example of what it means to be able to engage people with a life-giving um, message and, and moment. They gave away what they had, right? And had they not had that, they couldn't have given it away, yeah. right? And so I think that it's really important, and you mentioned the John 15 passage, this whole idea of remaining in Christ and abiding in Him. Uh, I was reading, um, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a great little book uh, called Secrets of the Vine. Yeah. I don't know if you've yeah. read that. That's a great little it read, is. but it's just, it's just a reminder. Um, he talks about the circumference you know, that, uh, of a branch where it meets the vine that 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 really determines how much of the life-giving sap flows into the fruit that's being produced mm-hmm. right and so that that place where the where the branch meets the vine how big of a circumference that is will determine how much flows through and so this is the that point of of abiding this is that point of that connection yeah. with the life-giving um you know, relationship with God that mm-hmm. we have. So making sure that we're remaining in Him, making sure that, that you know, and, and this goes beyond, you know, sermon prep, right? I mean, uh, those of us who are lead pastors, teaching pastors, um, there's a certain amount of uh, work that we have to do right. uh, to be prepared for Sunday. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that quiet time, that personal time, that opportunity for you to just engage in God's presence mm-hmm. and for him to fill you up right because it's going to be out of that that we're able to engage with people um we can only give away what we have yeah that's so that's great. really important
2: that's really good that's really good yeah i like that
0: you have to be called to it and remain in Christ because there's a lot of people i knew who, uh, you, you know, would just talk about how, like, oh, I'm just doing so much. And, I mean, you looked at their calendar, they weren't really doing a lot. But um, I think looking at their their attitude towards it, it was like, I don't think you're really called to this thing, but you're putting in way more effort than you need to be because you sh- this isn't a field you should be
2: participating in, really. Maybe it's um, not flowing out of them because it's not flowing into them. You know, I, yeah. I was talking, this man is now 94 years old. Wow. Uh, this was probably 10 years ago. And he said, back in my day, <laughs> which was a long time ago, I guess, back in my day, we didn't have this thing called burnout. Um, he said, I think the reason pastors are getting burnt out is because they're trying to do the work themselves yeah. and not allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. And I, I thought, well, that may be an oversimplification to some degree, but I think there's a lot of truth to that.
1: Well, and I would say this too, in addition to that, I, I think, I think you got to, you know, at, you know, as a leader, uh, just because you have the position and title doesn't make you the smartest person in the room. Yeah, right. And certainly you have gifts, but you don't have all the gifts. Mm-hmm. So you really have to surround yourself with people that are better than you are in a lot of different ways. Yeah, And then you can't allow their strengths in areas of your weakness to um, activate your insecurities. Exactly. Because when you hire right, You're going to hire people that are better than you are in different ways. And and then you need to create an environment for those people to flourish. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you're going to lose them. So make sure that you're creating an environment where where people that are gifted can flourish in their gifts. And, you know, it's not uncommon for me to go up to a staff member after um, they've exercised um, a gift that has been really... Platformed um, publicly, and mm-hmm. people are like giving them all kinds of accolades. And I'll just go off to him and say, "You have made me look really smart." Yeah. Because I'm the one that hired you. Yeah. You know. So uh, thanks for exercising your gift on on behalf of this fellowship. And when you talk about perspective,
2: there's the other perspective of those pastors who would say, "I can't let any associate outshine me because it makes me look bad." I agree with you. I think it it only makes you look better. When the people around you are shining.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, we all have certain gifts and, and not only spiritual gifts, but I think certain wirings that kind of lend themselves to, uh, doing certain things well. Mm -hmm. And if we're constantly trying to make up for our weaknesses and, and fake our way through that, um, we're, we're going to actually be mediocre, mediocre at everything. You know, we're not going to be great at the things that we're weak in and we're not even going to be great at the things that we're good in because we're spending so much energy over here. I, I just think it's a much better plan to say, what am I really gifted at? Um, what, what should I be given the majority of my energy towards? Mm -hmm. And then, um, what weakness do I need to outsource? I need to outsource this because Um, they can do that way better than I can yeah. and then give them the opportunity to flourish in that playing to your strength. Right. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I think
2: you're right on. That's good. Well, Mike, you've had a lot of good uh,
0: pieces of wisdom and things to help us out with. Um, I guess my last question would be, uh, what would you say to someone who's struggling with the idea of longevity? Um, with the idea of like like maybe they're wanting to jump ship or maybe they they're starting out but they don't know how to be in this for the long haul like what would you say to someone specifically in the church ministry to go like hey man like stick this out for the long haul because it you know it builds trust uh with your church it builds trust with your community you know all these different things what would you say to
1: somebody well again you know um when you when you know and and have the sense that you've been called to do something uh, I would just say, um, just know that God's going to enable you to do what He's called you to do. Uh, don't feel like you have to um, do it all on your own strength. Understand that there are resources out there, there are people out there that want to come alongside and help you. Um, I think I think there are um, a couple of things that play in in ministry in general, uh, in leadership. You have pride and you have insecurity. Mm. And those two things come together, and they're insidious. Yeah. I mean, pride and insecurity. Um, so, so what we'll do is we'll wind up. Pride will um, not allow us to admit that we need help. Right. And insecurity. Then, um, anytime we're around people that seem to have it all going on, um, we feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we got to fake it. You know, we yeah. got to try. We have to try to somehow. Uh, present ourselves in a way that make us look better than what we really are. Mm-hmm. So these, these two things, pride and insecurity, um, just understand that's not going to ever go away.
0: Right. So
1: it, surround yourself with people that will be authentic with you. Surround yourself with people that will um, live their life um, uh, transparently before you. You know, for the longest time, when I first got into ministry, I I looked at all these youth pastors, I was just starting out and I thought, oh, they got it all figured out. And that was exactly what they wanted me to think, that they had it all figured out. It wasn't until I got about four years into it. In youth ministry, it does not take long before you're the veteran, right? Right. So four years into it, no, I'm the veteran (laughs) and I still don't have it figured out. And that's when it dawned on me. Those guys didn't have it figured out either. They just didn't tell me they didn't have it figured out. And so that's when I made a commitment. You know what? Uh, we're all in this thing together. None of us have it all figured out. We're all just kind of feeling our way through this. Uh, you're kind of you're going to do a lot of things that don't work, and then every now and then you're going to stumble across something that really does work. Mm-hmm, right. And um, and just trust that God is going to lead you down this pathway, yeah. and that that is a ministry He's called you to, and um, He's going to be faithful. He's going to show up as long as you know you continue to walk humbly before. Him.
2: And I've got to tell you, Mike, what you just said. I don't know if you remember you and I traveling to Haiti together uh, with the, some other pastors a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, sure. But you and I were stuck at the Denver airport alone. Uh, I think it was it was in the evening. It seems like all the restaurants were closed, and we were just sitting there and talking. For some reason, insecurities came up, and I remember a guy that I looked up to, I thought had it all together. Uh, for years, I looked at Mike Rima as man, everybody admires him and I need to achieve to be like him. You know, I, this is <laughs> this, this guy has it all together. Oh, yeah. And you told me basically what you just said. And that was a transformative aha moment for me. Uh, I was, I was just a, a few years behind you and becoming lead pastor and trying to figure all of this out. And, um, to hear you say, Hey, none of us have it all figured out. We all struggle with insecurities and, um, it helped me realize it's okay to be who I am and I'm not as, as maybe far gone as I thought I was. So that that's an important element to, uh, to add into our psyche, I think. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Kent, do you have any closing thoughts on longevity? Cause I think, uh, you'd be another good person because you, Uh, you've said this from the platform before in some of your messages, like your, your younger self in ministry, you walked through pretty much any open door that was available for you. Um, and then you finally hit a point where you're like, no, this isn't what I'm going to do anymore. This is, this is now the lane I'm going to run in. So what would,
2: what would you say to that? My first few years of ministry, I was in churches literally for about a year. And I would go and and I think at one point, I added up when I was early before I was even a senior pastor, I had worked in fourteen different churches. and mm. uh, I, you know, I was very young at that time. and And someone had told me at one point that i and I just took this for granted. it's truth that um when God opens a door, you need to walk through it. And so I assumed that every time somebody offered me a position, that was God's will. And I just jumped on it (laughs) Uh, before long. My, I mentioned biological clock before long, my biological clock started ticking and said, you know, I would be at, for example, at Valley, Valley assembly back in 93. When I came, I'd been here three years. That was the longest I had ever been anywhere. uh, Literally since I was in junior high, because my family even moved a lot. So that kind of helped me, you know, establish this pattern in my life that every Year to three years, it's time to move on, and at three year that three year mark, I was, I started getting itchy, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of persevered through that, and then uh, you know it came again, and and over the years that that has expanded to you know about the ten year mark, but I think looking at those times where you start getting itchy or questioning. And to to work through those times, to you know, kind of, uh, I've gone through a couple of places uh, times recently where I've had you know some opportunities arise, and I've literally been able to say, "Do I want to do this?" It's something that there are a couple of them that I go, "This is something I would have you know said I want to do years ago," and uh, to have this open door and to be able to say no. I'm happy here. I feel like God has called me here and I'm staying. And when you walk through that and you come out on the other side, there's a new, a fresh kind of vision, I think, that arises, at least within me, that uh, gives me the strength and the, the, momentum to continue on knowing that at some point in my, at least in my life, there's going to come another season where I start getting a little itchy. And I guess what I don't want to do is become one of the guys who just stays to stay for staying's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, I'm going to ride this horse down till I die. I had one guy tell me one time, man, you got it made, just play golf and stay here till you <laughs> retire. And I'm like, Oh my God! Just hit me in the head with a hammer. You know, <laughs> if I ever get to that place, Mike, you come to me and say, Kent, <laughs> you need to quit.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think you know we're talking about longevity, and um, and yet I, I I also think that we do have to keep our finger on the pulse of you know where God's leading us, and uh, there is no shame in acknowledging that a season is coming to an end right and that you're identifying that a transition is imminent, and and so when the winds of change begin to blow i think it's important i remember when i was at shoreline uh i sensed that change i didn't know what that represented Mm -hmm. i remember going to les and saying les i feel like the winds of change are blowing and he said well what are you going to do and i said i don't know but i know that i would be disobedient if i just hung on here if i just pulled a paycheck you know so so uh, we stepped out, not really knowing what God had in mind. And then the whole, you know, motivational speaking thing happened. But um, so, it, you know, I think it's really important to be honest in, mm-hmm. in assessing what's going on. And sometimes I don't think you can do that in a vacuum. I think yeah. you need to invite people in on your journey so you can process and they can ask you good questions.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's vital. That's good. Obedience is better than sacrifice. What mm-hmm. is that? First Samuel 15? Something like that. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, uh, we haven't ended this way yet, but uh, Mike, would you pray over um, just churches and pastors and leaders who are uh, on the verge of burnout or, they're, like I said, they're struggling with longevity, anything like that? Would you end this podcast with a prayer over that?
1: I'd love to. Father, we thank you that this was your idea, not ours. God, that we are simply striving to be obedient to what it is that you have been leading us toward. Father, I pray for those right now that are feeling exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I pray that you'd help them understand the difference between being tired and being depleted. And God, I pray that you would help them identify uh, resources that could help them replenish their tank and um, and be able to stay uh, in the game that you have called them to. Father, I pray that you'd give People wisdom and discernment to really understand what it is that they're sensing and what's going on. And God, I pray that if there is a change that you're wanting to prompt um, within them, God, that they would be open to that, and that that you that they would uh, identify what those steps uh, need to look like. Hmm. If there is a a change that you're prompting, that means geographical change. Well, there's no shame in that either. And so, God, I just pray that you would make the steps forward really clear. Yeah. But God, I pray that there would be a just a level of honesty and transparency, and that there would be people that would come alongside to help process. And uh, God, that in the end, we would know that we're right in the middle of your will for our lives, that we're being obedient. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Yeah. Mike, thank you so much. It's been, it really is an honor for you to be here today. I appreciate you.
1: Well, I'm, I'm honored to be asked. So
0: thank you <laughs> so much. Cool. Well yeah I would say thank you as well. Um and thank you to those listening. This has been the Love First podcast. We will see you uh we'll see you on the next episode.